Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Crazy Girls Ignite podcast. Uh, my name is Marcy Ober, and I am your host, and I'm so excited to talk with you today about anxiety. This is going to be a powerful episode. Um, we are going to talk about anxiety in great detail, and we titled this Anxiety, She's a Bitch, because anxiety is a real hard thing to deal with. So before we get into that too much, I'd like to introduce and welcome our co-host, Nikki C. Hi, Nikki. Hi, how is everybody? Hopefully doing very well. Um, Nikki, uh, founder of Ignite here, and we're excited to talk about anxiety because, uh, you know, it affects a lot of us. Yeah. Um, and I'd have to say that most people have felt anxiety it's, or have been dealing with anxiety at one point or another in their lives. Yep. It is actually the most common um, of any of the, you know, mental health challenges. Um, I, I don't have statistics in front of me. Um, I think it's over 20% of the population will have some kind of diagnosable anxiety disorder in any given year. Um, and the only, you know, uh, disorder that, that, you know, even comes close to that is depression. So talking about anxiety has great importance for many people. And we very much believe here at Crazy Girls Ignite that knowledge is power. The more we know, the more that we can help ourselves and our loved ones. And that's what this whole podcast and um, our whole mission is all about. So thank you for joining us. And uh, Nikki, thank you for being our, our co-host. And, and we're going to dive right in. So um, what exactly is an anxiety disorder? Um, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to outline some of the criteria. Um, and, you know, you may know some of this um, to our, our audience out there. And, and there may be some things that um, are new to you as far as information. And what I suggest is that you filter this information through your own personal experience, your own values, um, and use this as a way to inform yourself and uh, spring off into, you know, making your own informed decisions about what's going on for you and what can help. So um, the five, or five major categories of anxiety disorders fall into um, one, generalized anxiety disorder. And this is, you know, basically chronic anxiety, it's exaggerated worry and tension, um, even if there's nothing actually creating it in your environment. And so people that suffer from generalized anxiety worry, did I say too much? Did I say the wrong thing? Should I have not said anything at all? What if this happens? What if that happens? It's just chronic and constant worry and it attaches itself to many different things. I like to think of it as a merry-go-round and you might be looking at any of the various horses or animals on the merry-go-round, but basically something pops up and it goes down and it goes around and it doesn't really go any place. So that's generalized anxiety disorder. There's also obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. And that is an anxiety disorder. All of these fall under the anxiety disorder category. And it's uh, characterized by recurrent unwanted thoughts, which are the obsessions. Um, and, or, because it doesn't have to have obsessions and compulsions, but it can, or compulsive behavior, which are repetitive behaviors um, that somehow are thought to um, reduce anxiety or help somebody feel better. And these can include things like hand washing, checking, cleaning, 
counting. I remember in my old office, um, I had somebody that I worked with that could tell me exactly how many dots were in one of my ceiling tiles and how many ceiling tiles there were. So he actually computed how many dots were covering my entire ceiling, which I thought was remarkable. Um, anyway, the compulsive behavior, while it might help somebody feel like they have a sense of control um, or, or temporary relief, um, actually winds up being its own thing and uh, and can make things you know so much harder to deal with. So obsessive, compulsive thoughts and behaviors is OCD. Um, that is different than OCPD. I, I just want to say that there are some personality disorders that can mimic, um, you know, different things. And there is obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is different from the obsessive compulsive disorder that exists under the anxiety category. But Nikki, we will, we will have to do a whole episode on personality disorders at some point. So mm -hmm. yeah, we'll go there. Okay. Panic disorder is, is, is another one. And it's, it's terrible. Anybody that's ever had a panic attack can attest to the awful um, overwhelming feeling of um, feeling like you are dying or choking or going to pass out. Um, and panic disorder can also include agoraphobia where people don't want to leave the home. Um, and it's not that they don't want to go out. It's that really somebody's afraid that they're going to have a panic attack or lose control out there. So your world gets smaller and smaller, uh, trying to avoid a panic attack in an uncomfortable place. Um, there is the category of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Um, it is an anxiety disorder and it generally uh, develops after exposure to um, a terrifying event or trauma. And Nikki being um, a trauma expert, we will have a whole episode on PTSD. We'll talk about it a little today. I think Nikki will have a lot of thoughts on that, but again, I think that that warrants its, its own episode. Um, another one is social phobia. And so it is really characterized by um, feeling judged or scrutinized um, excessive self-consciousness, um, and it can really limit people, um, as far as being able to be out in the world and feel like they can, you know, be with other people. Um, so this can present as a fear of speaking, um, or eating or drinking in front of other people. Um, and it can be broad that it can really, you know, extend out to any kind of social situation. And the last thing that I want to talk about and just mention is that there are specific phobias that um, fall under the anxiety disorder category. So it can be fear of flying um, or fear of tunnels or bridges or driving. It's, it's a specific phobia um, that just is latched on to uh, you know, one concrete item as opposed to generalized everywhere. So um, the last thing I want to say, just when going over anxiety disorders um, in, in a general sense, is that anxiety can be experienced um, in a specific situation, which would be acute, or it could be chronic, of course, across the board, and it can be mild, moderate, or severe. So um, I think that just understanding what type of anxiety disorder somebody might be dealing with. Um, if, is it chronic? Is it, is it, is it long lasting? Is it, you know, really affecting the quality of life? These are the things that should be considered. So with all of that information, Nikki, thoughts, feelings, reactions. 
so many thoughts, feelings, reactions. So I've actually uh, battled with each and every one of these at one point or another in my life. In my life. So um, when I was a lot younger, it was more of a uh, social anxiety um, and some of the, the pho phobias. Um, and then as I got a little older, it was the generalized, the panic disorder and the uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. So, but yes, anxiety is definitely a bitch. Like <laughs> it is so rough sometimes and, um, you know, it's, it's hard to reel it in because it does, it becomes very, very uh, repetitive mm -hmm. and uh, can keep your mind really moving. Yeah. So, yeah. So why do you think that, you know, you've had, you've had different types or, you know, just from a personal standpoint, do you <laughs> feel that, you know, anxiety, you know, kind of takes on different shapes um, and can morph, it's it's the same energy and it turns into different types of things? Or do you think different circumstances or experiences um, can can trigger different types of anxiety? I guess I'm, I'm going to the, the question of where does anxiety come from? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it something that we're born with on a biological basis or level? Is it something we learn by watching people? Um, observing behaviors and being conditioned? Is it due to trauma or stress? Like what do you think? All of, the, all of the above, okay. all of the above. So, uh -huh. um, so uh, some of my OCD uh, behaviors or OCD compulsions uh, were actually uh, learned. They were learned behaviors. So I would watch my mom clean in times of stress. Yeah. So now what, what I do, I would clean in times of stress. I would organize. I would check. I was a. I'm a checker, um, and I would do these over and over and over again, trying to get some relief because it would make me feel like there was a sense of relief. And I think the the point that brought me to um, to treatment was when it actually caused like severe distress. I was late for my day because I was checking, checking, checking. Yeah. Or uh, you know when my oldest was first born, I was flipping out because he was like, you know, like making a mess, you know? And to me, that was, that was just like catastrophic. Like, right. Right. so yeah, but I think it comes from everywhere. I think the, um, the impact of, uh, you know, repeated trauma can push anxiety in a different direction. Um, biologically, some of us are, are kind of, uh, chemically made up to when we enter the world and then we run into a stressor, it kind of clicks on that gene and like, there it is, you know? So I think all of the above, it comes from everywhere. Stress triggers um, a lot of the post-traumatic stress disorder, a lot of the um, OCD tendencies and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah, everywhere it yeah. comes. It's, it's, it's kind of like um, the brain's trying to, you know, I look at it as um, there's something going on. Um, the brain is trying to make sense of it, put it in some kind of category to understand um, or make sense of. And that could be sort of like repeated thoughts. Um, we do learn this. And um, I, I, I think we, I think it's both nature and nurture. I look at the people that I work with and I've worked with over the years and um 
if, if, if somebody comes in, let's say having panic attacks and we sit down and we do a history, you know, um, maybe grandma had anxiety or, you know, there was an aunt that, you know, uh, wound up going away for a period of time for undisclosed, you know, uh, mental exhaustion, I think they called it back then. So I think there is a family history um, for, for many people. And I think that there really is a learned kind of pattern of trying to cope, right? So your mother cleaned, that's what you did. Okay, um, my family, you know, did other things. Some, some people, you know, cook, some people, um, you know, do all kinds of different things to, uh, to cope. So yeah, I think nature and nurture is a really interesting kind of way to look at it. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Um, I think that, uh, like you said, like you said, stressors have a lot to do with um, kind of exacerbating it as well. So, I mean, it, yeah, nature, nurture, and 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 life events. Life events. You, mm -hmm. Yeah. See, you know what? I was thinking we we all do need a certain amount of stress, and sometimes stress can call us to action, right? You think about mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, a musician getting ready to go on or somebody getting ready to give a presentation and that sort of anxiety can, can help us focus and help bring us, you know, uh, help us rise to the occasion. But sometimes our brain gets a little stuck and it loops and it just gets in this worry mode and it becomes very habitual. I think that, you know, these neural pathways, which are these little grooves that get worn in our brain through repetitive motion, whether it's exercise or, you know, uh, you know, muscle memory, our thoughts become habituated and anxiety thoughts are really powerful and really com compelling. And I was talking to somebody that I work with the other day and I asked her how much of her day is actually spent dealing with distressing, worrying thoughts of one type or another. Is her husband coming home? Um, it, you know, what happened to her boy at school? You know, like, is she going to lose her job? Is this one talking about her? I'm like, how much, how much time in a day? And she, she, she thought it was probably over eight hours of her waking time. So like, this is a big deal, right? Some people might say, well, just stop thinking about it or get over it. But like, it's not that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works. And, and although there is, you know, like, a, you know, mindfulness techniques and stuff like that, that can, you know, calm it down. It, if you're really, if you're in the middle of a panic attack or, you know, um, uh, like in PTSD, when you see like a flashback, I, I, I like to think that that's driven by a lot of anxiety. And um, that's not something that you can just, you know, will away at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about what can help, you know, you identify that there's something going on, you kind of figure out, you know, it probably falls into this category. You know, I tend to uh, have more generalized anxiety or I have more social anxiety. What are some of the different things that can help a person not only get relief, but function in life the way that they want to have, be able to drive over a bridge or through a tunnel or get on an airplane. Like, let's talk about that. So what's been helpful for you, Nikki? You've, you've had a lot of these experiences. What works for you? So when I notice that my anxiety is going up way too high, you know, so I have a certain set point where my anxiety is like, no, I can deal with that. you know. <laughs> and then there's that point where it's no, no, this is really bad. And my whole body's shaking and whatnot. So um, mindfulness is definitely a technique that I always use, um, but disconnecting from um, 
anything electronic is really important for me. All right, let's go slow and let's go over each of these, mm -hmm. okay? Because I think I, I really want people that are listening to feel like, okay, I, there are things I can do. So, so let's mm -hmm. start with mindfulness. When you say mindfulness, what do you mean by that? How do you work with that to deal with your anxiety? Let's get specific here. Okay, so in in mindfulness, it would either be for me personally. This is this is my personal take on on uh, mindfulness that works for my anxiety. So I'm going to speak on that. But um, so I will use breathing techniques, but sometimes breathing techniques will actually kind of throw me in the other way. So um, it's, uh, it's observing something and describing it and something in nature, something that is natural, not something, you know, uh, on social media, like mm -hmm, scrolling mm -hmm. through social media, mm -hmm. but looking outside, um, observing something and then describing it without judgment and staying in the moment with that very thing that I am looking at. Mm -hmm. is very helpful. Mm -hmm. I believe it's called pod. They call it pod. <laughs> so um, you will look at something, you'll observe it, you'll describe it either by uh, journaling about it, describing it to someone next to you. Um, so I do that with my three-year-old. So we look at the sky all of the time. And then we pick the colors of the sky and we talk about that. And it just kind of brings everything back into the moment. Yeah, it really does. I love that. And 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 I use an activity um, called 54321. And mm -hmm. that is based on the senses. So five things that you can see in order, one at a time, in great detail, mm -hmm. four things that you can touch and you feel it different. You know, my computer is metal and it feels smooth and my table is wood and it's warm and it feels rougher. And so really just getting into the sensory, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, something you can taste, and you can interchange these, but if you do the full five, four, three, two, one, which might take five minutes, you have redirected your brain into mm -hmm. not only the present moment, but something that has nothing to do with what was amping you up in the first place. Exactly. So it's a very powerful technique for grounding and being present. And uh, I like pod. I like that one too. <laughs> and it so. works that what you just explained, the five, four, three, two, one works really well with um, post-traumatic stress anxiety. So when something triggers you and you feel like you're back in the same um, place that you were when the actual tra trauma occurred, the five, four, three, two, one can be used as what is different than, you know, what is uh, around me that is different than when the actual traumatic event happened. And then that can bring you out of that wow. sort of, that so triggering, that you from where yeah. you are in that past experience to being someplace else where you're not. Mm -hmm. wow. Yes. Amazing. Because it winds up, anxiety is such a physical body experience. I mean, it's rooted in thoughts, but it is a biophysiological response. It's like mm -hmm. the system sort of goes haywire or gets stuck or goes back. It's like, it's all thought-based, but it's all body experienced. And that's why movement is so important, you know, like working out and uh, expelling some of that, 
that kind of uh, a high vibrating energy that's just yeah. like running through your entire system. Yeah. Do you find that that works if you're moving, if you're doing some kind of yoga or, 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 or strong movement, does it reset yes. that vibration? Do you feel your body? It can, actually- it can. Yeah. It can. And with me, because I'm so sensitive, <laughs> um, it's sometimes it can throw it one way or the other, but, um, as long as I stay very aware of where my brain and body are, then I can insert, you know, slower movement, like a yoga or something like that. If I'm that sort of realm of anxiety, and if I'm in kind of like a panicky or something like that, then, um, yeah, then going for a walk, a run, a, you know, but yes. It's being aware. It's almost like, because anxiety can like weave its way so much into, Mm -hmm. um, your, your experience. And it's such a powerful sensation that we sometimes forget that we are in the experience, but we can also sort of pull out and observe the experience, you know, sometimes the more we practice and that ability to reflect and, and ask ourselves, what do I need right now? What's going to help me ground or redirect or, you know, put me in a different thought process and, and, and being aware so that you can give yourself some of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think nutrition, nutrition has a lot to do with that too. So, um, adding in that aspect, like, did I just eat a whole bunch of sugar yesterday? And now I woke up this morning and I'm like, you know, I have to, I feel that sort of underlying rapid spinning going on. Yeah. Could, you know, it's like, you know, I think yeah. I'm going to need a vegetable or something, you yeah. know, like, yeah. and that helps, that helps. Um, I know as soon as, uh, like I go too far on eating too much gluten or something like that, like, I know I'm out of whack. And yeah. then if I bring it back in with my nutrition, then I can recenter. Yeah. So, and then, you know, for a lot of people, alcohol really is a factor. Oh, alcohol does not work for me at all. I want to say that because I think that, you know, some people feel like um, a couple of drinks settles my nerves, is mm-hmm. a social lubricant. <laughs> and, you know, in, in, in small doses, if you can tolerate it well, perhaps, but what I, what I hear again and again is I had too many drinks. I feel like crap the next day. My anxiety is out of control. And, um, you know, it just, it just set, set me, you know, in a bad direction with my neurotransmitters. Do you find that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if I, if I were to drink, if I were to drink right now and then try to fall asleep tonight, I would sleep horribly. My brain would actually wake itself up in the middle of the night. So it's like a, almost like it kicks up your serotonin or it's doing something where your brain will pick up because you're trying to depress it. I'm not really sure, but, um, yeah, no, no, I cannot have like one drop of alcohol because if I do personally, I will have the worst panic attack in the entire world. So I stay, stand clear of it altogether. Um, people that can tolerate it, that's, you know, that's one thing I, I, I know for me, I can't. It. I tolerate it fine, but you're right. If I have something on my mind or I have something big ahead of me and I'm in like worry mode, maybe it's not generalized anxiety or panic threshold, but like, I'm like grinding the gears and worrying a little bit. Um, it will wake me up in the middle of the night and I will have a hard time falling back asleep too. So I have to be aware of it. You know, I generally tolerate it very well, but sometimes I don't, (laughs) 
right? And I think that I think that can get you in a loop too, because you think that it's kind of you know helping your anxiety out, so you keep doing it, um, only to find that it is actually making it slightly worse. So. So self-awareness is key because again, like I said, at the beginning of our episode, there is no one size fits all, you know, we're not here to tell anybody what they experience or what's going to work for them. But if we talk about the, the whole menu, the whole crazy menu of options, um, I think, I think people that want to feel better will take the time to observe and inquire and maybe enlist the help of a therapist to talk out, you know, what is going on with me and what can help. And um, again, I, I think therapy is, is wonderful and it doesn't have to be like long-term, you know, lifelong therapy, but just like going in and really kind of inquiring what's going on with me and what is this related to, you know, sometimes anxiety really comes about because real things have happened in life that either are, very difficult to cope with and deal with, like maybe bullying earlier on in life or, you know, social situations and can lead to somebody feeling unsafe or that they don't trust themselves. And then maybe overthinking and then maybe avoiding and, you know, without somebody else to help break it down, where did this come from? You know, what are some of the assumptions and beliefs you developed about yourself or about other people along the way? And what can be done to rewire this? So it's not kind of like just because you went through it, now you're doomed to continue to go through it. I mean, that, that's what I think. What, what do you think? I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think that I would have even known what to do with the feeling um, if it weren't for, you know, like therapeutic intervention. So um, having the coping tools in, you know, on you and, and readily available for you to kind of pull out when you're feeling this way, it's really important. I mean, how would you know what to do if you were never taught right. to do? Exactly. Exactly. Good. All right. Well, what do you think about medication? This is, this is a <laughs> medication is always a hot button issue. Uh, uh, it is. Oh, it what, is. What, what do you think? What are your thoughts so, on medication the, for anxiety? You know, the, the gold standard for anxiety, quote unquote, the gold standard for, uh, to treat anxiety. And every psychiatrist that I've run into has said, this is antidepressants. Yeah. SSRI. So, yeah. yep. Yep, is uh, which, as I'm sure everyone's aware at this point, I think we talked about it um, in the uh, medication episode, I'm antidepressant resistant. So you do have other choices. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they could use uh, a little bit of um, an antipsychotic. They can use a little bit of a beta blocker to help with anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and these are all things, obviously, you would speak to your doctor about. Mm -hmm. um, and then they can also use the the um, the anti-anxiety medications. But those with those come a little bit more of a, you know, the addictive possibility. So it's yeah, benzos are it's, something to be really mm -hmm. careful of. I, I used to be very pro benzo until I saw what like a dependence and withdrawal uh, could do over time. And so I think that you know our wonderful favorite psychiatrist. Dr. Yeah. Friedman in the medication mm -hmm. episode um, really put it well. Like it's it's like a rescue inhaler potentially. Yep. It's mm -hmm. it's it's you know 
if you know that you're going to fly um, and you know the only thing that's going to get you through is maybe uh, some good visualization and a Xanax and that's what it takes, then that's what it's for. Although you should never, never, never mix a benzo with alcohol because that never, is very, very, never, very never, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah, right. you can go, you know, your respiratory failure and like yeah. the whole, you don't want to mess around with that. that. And right. exactly. You always want to say like anything that you would try medication wise, you would want to start very low just to see where, you know, that's mm -hmm. going to hit you in the brain because a lot of the drugs that are used for anxiety can make you kind of groggy and tired. And, you know, I think the benzos can 70% of people respond really well to SSRIs, the first. I love that seventy percent. Seventy percent. So we'll just say you know, to the so general office, the yes. general audience out there, that that if anxiety is a problem that mm -hmm. is in the more moderate to severe category, more mm -hmm. chronic, and it impacts the quality of your life, um, do not hesitate to talk with your doctor about an SSRI, um, and and along with other, you know interventions, mindfulness, nutrition, exercise, um, good communication, good support systems. It can, it can be incredibly life-changing. Don't be afraid of it is what I'm saying. But I, I have agree. people all the time that say, no, 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 I don't want to do it. I have people all the time that say, no, I'm not putting my child on that. Absolutely not. And I understand and I respect, but I also think that people need to look at how long it's been going on, how severe the anxiety is, what the impact on quality of life and relationships and learning and, and functioning is. And uh, let's bust the stigma and just keep an open mind and have important conversations with people that you trust. How's that? Absolutely. Yeah. That's my little medication pitch because I see so <laughs> and the risk to benefit ratio, you know, like if it's if you're really not feeling well, it's okay to reach out and, you know, let your doctor know, like, or you know, if your child is really dealing with anxiety, yep. Let let someone know. Right. You know, don't go at it alone. Don't no. go at it alone. Okay. So then let's talk also about support. Um, having good quality people in your life that you can be honest and open with, um, perhaps joining a group, a Facebook group. What do you think about these uh, community-based uh, types of things? Um, I think having, uh, having a sense of belonging and feeling like you're not alone in it is very important. And, uh, you know, a lot of the Facebook groups, you can get very specific in the Facebook groups too. So, I mean, if it's a general, you know, mental health, or if it's more of like, a, you know, I'm a single parent and I have anxiety sort of situation, like it's all out there where, you know, there's other people that are just like you going through the very same thing. You're never alone. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about joining a group. And I love Facebook for these groups because it's really very anonymous you don't have to participate. You can lurk, you can scroll, you can mm -hmm. learn, you can jump in, you can ask questions, you can meet your best friend. Like there's so many things that happen out there that were not available some years back, right? This is a pretty, you know, recently, you know, in the past 10 years phenomenon. Otherwise, you know, you'd have to drive to a support group, try and find a support group, maybe try and find some childcare. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, I, I think Facebook groups are fantastic. 
Absolutely. I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you think is not helpful or does not work when it comes to dealing with anxiety? Scrolling. <laughs> so, oh right i interrupted but, you when you no, were saying that's okay no, no we kind of we circled it. around it we no, kind of circled around it yeah but um yeah no i find that um you know blue light is not my friend when it comes if i am in the middle of some sort of uh just high level anxiety scrolling through facebook will actually i could feel it right in my stomach and it will come up like into my throat um it it, I think it makes anxiety a lot worse. So um, yes, belong to a social group, mm -hmm. but if you're super anxious or you're having some sort of, you know, panic attack or something like that, um, maybe stay away from the, the computer or the phone or the putting it down yeah. is very important. Yes. Yeah. Disconnecting disconnecting um, everything is yeah, especially very important from time to time without question because it jacks up our nervous system and mm -hmm. you know what jacks up our nervous system more than almost anything i can think of besides somebody screaming at you or being in horrible traffic and being late um mm -hmm. is the news and i don't care you know and we're not going political because we don't hear that's not what this is about but like i don't think that anybody ever gets off watching their favorite news show feeling calm cool collected and better yeah. i think it just plays to um you know it plays to our emotions in a way that jacks us up in a very unhealthy fashion and i think what's weird about anxiety is we want to know things because we are anxious so we look for information to help us you know okay here's the information and it's going to help us feel better but actually that information overload just leads to being more jacked up. So I would really say take a news holiday. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Get away from screens for a period of time, walk in nature, pet mm -hmm. an animal. And there's one last thing, and I know that we're getting short on time here, but I wanna, I wanna just do a little shout out for something called polyvagal theory. Yes. Um, the vagus nerve is the largest nerve in in our body it starts at the 10th cranium and it goes all the way down our spinal column breaks out over our hips and down our legs it looks like a great big piece of seaweed and this is our nervous system reaction and we can actually see um, through scanning the the vagus nerve that you know where um vibration is is getting stuck or getting jacked up and polyvagal theory is fantastic about, you know, explaining how this all happens and then talking about all kinds of different ways to tone the vagus mm -hmm. nerve. Toning the vagus nerve really means um, helping us to become more neurologically resilient. So if we're in a depressed state, you can see the vagus nerve, you know, below uh, the navel is non-myelinated, which means that everything moves real slow on that part of the nerve. And, and, we actually can get stuck there during depressive episodes. So toning the vagus nerve would be, you know, more vigorous exercise or a little bit more stimulating um, foods and, and uh, experiences where anxiety would be the exact opposite. It would be listening to music. It would be petting an animal, um, chanting or humming. There are all these different things that can like really help us bring our nervous system into alignment 
And so I encourage everybody to look up polyvagal theory, V-A-G-A-L, not Vegas like Las Vegas. Um, great information out there. I agree. I completely agree with that. Um, one of the um, one of the techniques used in that is taking ice and putting it right on your chest. Mm -hmm. So um, when you're when you're having a panic attack, it's actually really important to feel something outside of your own self, if you will. So taking a like something cold and sticking it right on your chest can actually get your brain to kind of realign and get your vagus nerve to uh, balance out. Yeah, so. it's, it's <laughs> remarkable. So anxiety is so many different things, right? It can present in so many different ways, but taking the time without judgment to just step back and try to understand what am I experiencing? Where might this be coming from? What can I do to get help and relief is, I think an incredibly important and powerful thought process. And so um, I encourage everybody that's listening, um, do your own research, look up what makes sense for you um, and reach out and, and be in community because none of us have to be alone with any of these things. Anxiety is a bitch, but we don't have it to is. give her too much room, okay? <laughs> she doesn't get to rule our lives. No, no, she does not. And there's so many different... Um, you know, avenues, uh, with anxiety. So, I mean, you have an open field of tools for your toolbox. So, yeah, let us know what works. Please reach out Nikki. If people would like to reach you, how can they be in touch with you? Uh, Facebook and Instagram at ignite own it or igniteownit.com. And Marcy, you can find me at the crazy girl project on Instagram and Facebook and crazygirlproject.com. And um, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for being here, for being part of the solution, um, for you know increasing um, knowledge and education and busting stigma and, and just helping to create a more well um, and, and accepting world. Uh, we're all in this together. And I, I'm so glad that you took the time to, to tune in today. So we will look forward to seeing you, hearing you, talking to you in a future episode. Um, so thank you again and have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye guys. Have a good day. Have a good day. Bye.